0: We've been learning some things about the Lord on the Sunday evenings through the book of Exodus. And as we've uh, been studying through the book, I think one of the things that we have to remember as we study the Bible is that uh, we learn certainly some things about uh, mankind, we learn some things about human nature, we learn some things uh, about the world, we learn some principles about life, but ultimately, what the the Word of God is about, it's about God revealing Himself to man. And that is the whole of biblical revelation. God desires to be known. And uh, the pursuit of our lives ought to be we want to know Him. You know, that's what Paul said, didn't he? That I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, the fellowship of His suffering be made conformable unto His death. And so may that be our desire. We're going to uh, take the Word of God this evening and turn to Exodus chapter 12. Before you stand for the reading of God's Word, I, I want us to be reminded here because we come to a very important chapter. Exodus chapter 12 is a very important chapter. And I say that because there are some chapters that communicate a, a greater degree an important truth than some others in the sense that now I know it's all the Word of God. I'm not saying some is is better than others, but the weight of certain passages um, are weightier and more impactful than others. This text is, is that, Exodus chapter 12, the Passover, the reason for that is because it's going to be remembered again and again all throughout the Old Testament and then specifically and fully in the New Testament. And we really truly understand what the Passover is about when we read the New Testament. It it completes it. Uh, But this is important for us as believers because we really don't know when we read about in the New Testament that Jesus is our Passover. We really don't know and appreciate what that means unless we know what the Passover is. If he is our Passover, what is the Passover? What does it communicate? And... We've looked here yet, when we think about the Passover, often we may uh, know that it's in the book of Exodus, that it was instituted in the book of Exodus, but we often may forget that the Passover is found in the midst of the ten plagues. As a matter of fact, it was instituted before the tenth plague was carried out. The Passover is actually instructed at the same time that the 10th plague is pronounced. And so there's a great significance to this chapter. And so I cannot take one message from this chapter. We're going to have to break that up. Say, how are you going to break that up? I don't know yet, but we're going to start with some of the basics in Exodus chapter 12. Before we read and come to Exodus 12, we have to think about the full view of all the plagues. We're still in the midst of the plagues. And if you remember when uh, it was back in Exodus chapter 5 that Moses and Aaron first went to Pharaoh and they said, um, let the people go that they may hold a feast in the wilderness and that they may offer sacrifice and serve the Lord in the wilderness. And do you remember what Pharaoh said? He, he said in uh, uh, Exodus 5 verse 2, who is the Lord? Then he says, I know not the Lord neither will I obey His voice. Now as we come and we've read through the first nine plagues, I think to some degree Pharaoh is able to answer that question. Who is the Lord? He could probably say He's the Almighty. I mean, look at His power. He is powerful. He is Jehovah. As Pharaoh calls Him, capital L-O-R-D, Lord. He is the Lord of lords. And so to some degree, Pharaoh has been able to see that God is the Almighty, His power, but also that God is a God of judgment, that He judges the wicked, that He judges iniquity. You remember at one point, Pharaoh said, I have sinned. But I think we also know that Pharaoh know by this point that God is also merciful. Now, how do we know that? Because... God displaying the power that he displayed and having not yet cut off Pharaoh and all the Egyptians as he could have, then Pharaoh has to be aware at some point in some measure that God is a merciful God. You remember even Moses several times confronting Pharaoh. He says, I know you're not going to keep your word. I know you're not going to let the people go. You are deceiving and you're not being honest. And yet he still rebelled. And so we come to the last plague. It was announced in chapter 11, and we're going to read a portion of chapter 12. So let's stand together for the reading of God's Word in reverence to God and His Word and what God says. And I'm going to try my best feebly to expound the Bible, but... Certainly what God says is more important than anything that I have to say. So notice with me, Exodus chapter 12, we're going to be beginning in reading in verse 1, but I want us to get a perspective of just a few verses in chapter 4. Notice with me, back in chapter 4, I mean, excuse me, chapter 11, right before chapter 12. Exodus chapter 11, notice verse 4. Exodus 11 verse 4. And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maid servant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. Now, notice verse 5. Again, verse, the beginning. All the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Does that include the children of Israel? He says, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Verse 6, And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue, against man or beast, that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. The entirety of those who were in the land were under the condemnation of Almighty God. Both Egyptians and Hebrews were sinners before God. Now how does God then, in verse 7, then put a difference between the Egyptians and the Hebrews? And the difference between the Egyptians and the Israelites is not a moral one. It is not one of merit. The difference, as we will see in chapter 12, is the blood of the lamb. And so, how do we explain chapter 4? All the firstborn are going to die, but then the Israelites, not a dog is going to move its mouth. How can we reconcile those two things? Chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house, And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, ye shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and The whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts, and on the upper door post of the houses wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh that night, roast with fire, and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire, his head with his legs, And with the pertinence thereof. And ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning. And that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night. And will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, I am the Lord, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be to you for a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Ye shall keep it a feast by an ordinance forever. I would like to bring your attention to the end of verse 12, uh, verse, uh, the end of verse 11. Notice the last five words It is the Lord's Passover if you kind of skip down over, notice with me verse, uh, just a little later in the chapter, he repeats, this is the Lord's Passover. Twice in this text, when we think about the Passover, we have to remember that this is not The Passover of the children of Israel. That this is the Lord's Passover. Notice verse 27. That ye shall say it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. The children of Israel are are going to remember this is the Lord's Passover. And they're going to say perpetually it is the Lord's Passover. So I'd like to preach this evening on this thought. It is the Lord's Passover. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word tonight, and we pray that you would arrest our souls tonight as we consider the institution of the Passover that you would teach us and instruct us. The importance of the blood of the Lamb and of what this Passover meant, not just then in those days, but also to us today. And so we pray that our hearts might be stirred to remembrance, and if we've never heard those things, that we might learn them and gain a greater appreciation for the great sacrifice that you did for us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. As we look here in our text, as I mentioned twice, the Bible says it is the Lord's Passover. Before we examine the text, I do want to begin to point out that 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7, that the Bible says, for even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So Christ, the Bible says, is our Passover, So as we think about Christ being a Passover, that means that the Passover is going to point us to Christ. And then when Christ comes, and then when Christ becomes the atonement for sin, and He is our Passover, He looks back and say, you know, you remember the Passover, that is what Christ did. And so there are details in Exodus chapter 12 that furnish for us an explanation on the meaning of the Passover, and the meaning of Jesus Christ, who is our Passover. I want to make just, I think, four or five statements as to the importance of the instituting of the Passover. And I'm going to, I'll just read the statements and then I'll explain them. The institution of the Passover, we first see in our text, was the provision of God. The institution of the Passover was the provision of God, which means that the Passover was not the attempt of man to escape judgment. That is not what the Passover is. Now, are the children of Israel going to have to do something? Sure, they will. But they will do so because it is what God has ordered. It is what God has designed. And so the institution of the Passover was the provision of God. Twice in the text we are reminded that this is the Lord's Passover. In other words, the Passover does not meet just the needs of men. But the Passover answers to the justice of God. And so it is with our salvation. That yes, we might think of Christ as our Passover, that Christ is the answer to our need, but also that Christ is the fulfillment of the justice of God and the righteousness of God. And so when God here puts forth this Passover, He is clear to point out to them that this is my way, that this is my Passover, and that you are going to call it forever and hold this Passover as a memorial, and you're going to say This is the Lord's Passover. This is what God has done. This is what God has ordered. It is important for us to be reminded that when, as we think about salvation and about Christ, that Christ, as we declare, He is the only way to heaven, that there is none other name given among men whereby we must be saved. There is no other way to come to God but through Christ. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no other way. There is only one way for reconciliation with God the Father. There is only one way for our sins to be atoned. And the reason why I say that is because today we have many people who are preoccupied with religion, but those religions are man's attempts to escape the judgment of God. I was just speaking yesterday to a man, and we had a good conversation. But he is—he was a Muslim. He is Muslim man, and I, I just asked him, "How does he know that he's going to have eternal life and be with God?" And his answer was quite familiar to all religion. He says, "Well, you have to be a good Muslim, and uh, but since you're not perfect, you're going to spend a certain amount of time paying for your sins. And after you're done paying for your sins in hell, then you can go to heaven." And so I said, okay, so that's kind of like purgatory, like the Catholics teach. He said, yeah, it's kind of like that. And so then that was the open door for me to share about Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ suffered for our sins, that He died and He was our substitute, so that we will never have to go to hell, but that we have a home in heaven because of what Christ, and because of His righteousness. And I told him, I said, nobody is good enough for eternal life, but Jesus Christ was the way. But... What What is that? It is man's attempt to escape the judgment of God. Exodus chapter 12 is not man's attempt to escape the judgment of God. It is God's Passover. It is God's way. He has furnished the way. And salvation, the Bible says, is of the Lord. It is not of man. It is not something that man conjured up. It is not something that man came up with. That sounds good. It is the design and the plan of Almighty God. And so the institution of the Passover was the provision of God. It was not the attempt of man to escape judgment. As we, uh, and so that's the theme throughout this text. But as we begin here in our text in Exodus chapter 12, we note notice with me in verse 1 and 2, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. What we learn, secondly, here is that the institution of the Passover is significant because it changed Israel's calendar. This month, according to verse 2, was to become, from this moment on, the first month of the year for the Hebrews. And so God is, uh, notice how significant this Passover is. This Passover is so significant that the way they used to order their year, how they thought about their year and when the year began and when the year ended, is going to be completely changed by this Passover. That this is going to be the first month. This is where it all is going to begin. This is going to be the month that they're going to remember that this marked the redemption out of Egyptian bondage. This is a new start. This is the place where really the nation of Israel began. I, I know Israel came from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Jacob's 12 sons that became the 12 tribes. But I understand when the nation was formed, it was formed in Egypt, but it became a nation by redemption out of Egypt and out of Egyptian bondage. And so God says, as we institute the Passover, you're not only going to remember the Passover, but you're going to remember it because I'm going to completely change your character. I'm going to reorder your life. And you know what? Jesus Christ has done the same for us. The moment that we came to salvation in Christ... He completely reordered our lives. And everything in our lives, that we, uh, how we live, how we behave, is all impacted by that day when we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and when He redeemed us out of the bondage of sin and completely reordered our lives. And everything that we do goes back to that moment. It will be the same for Israel. And so the institution of the Passover is significant because it changed Israel's calendar this month. Now, in chapter 13, if you turn there with me, what is this month? It is given a title. Notice Exodus 13 and verse 4. This day came you out in the month Abib. Now, this same month will be mentioned later in Exodus 23, in Exodus 34, and also in Deuteronomy chapter 16. He will go back to their time of deliverance, and He will mention the month Abib. This is called the month later by the Hebrews, the month Nisan. And so God is going to reorder the Jewish calendar by the Passover. This is going to be the beginning. This is going to be the start. And so... We see that the institution of the Passover was the provision of God and not man. It is significant because it changed Israel's calendar. But thirdly, the institution of the Passover gives us great detail on the Lamb that was to be selected. Now now this is going to be the main part of my message and that's why I have to break it up here because I can't go through the whole chapter. But... Perhaps, and I really tried to think throughout all of the Old Testament, and I could not think of any other instance that is as descriptive and as specific concerning Christ and who is our Passover as Exodus chapter 12. As a matter of fact, by the way, there are many messianic prophecies And Messianic Psalms and truth, Isaiah 53 is one of them, and we appreciate those truths and they're wonderful, but I just don't know of any chapter in all of the Old Testament that is as detailed and as specific in pointing us to Christ as this chapter is, particularly as it refers to the Lamb. As a matter of fact, if you were to ask anybody who uh, might have studied the Bible for a long time and who would read through Exodus chapter 12 over and over again, you would find, and you ask this question, what is the emphasis of the chapter? Most people might say, the Lamb. Uh, that, That seems to be the theme. There's a Lamb keeps coming back and the details about the Lamb and how the Lamb was to be selected and how the lamb was to be treated and how the lamb was to be offered and what to do with the lamb and the carcass of the lamb and the blood of the lamb. There's so many details with regard to the lamb. And when we get to the New Testament, we know the value of that because Jesus Christ is introduced to the world as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. You go all the way to the book of Revelation in chapter 5. And what do you see on the throne? You see a lamb. And so the idea of a lamb is really rooted in in this chapter. It is alluded to, we could say in Genesis chapter 3, it is alluded to, we could even go to Genesis, when Abraham offers his son Isaac, he says God will provide himself a lamb. And so there's a mention here and a mention there, but there's nothing that's quite as detailed as Exodus chapter 12 concerning this lamb. And so the institution of the Passover gives us great detail on the lamb that was selected. I want to go through those verses one by one and see what we can learn about this lamb. Notice verse 3. This is what Moses and Aaron are communicating to the children of Israel. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man, a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. Uh, Now, before we proceed any further, I do would like to point out that at no point in this entire chapter do you find the word lamb used in the plural form. Now, I think that's significant because Moses and Aaron could have said, now get your lambs together and offer your lambs as a sacrifice. It is never seen plural. It's always singular. That even when it comes to, you're going to slay it, singular. Not plural, which points us not to a plurality of lambs, but to one specific lamb. When we read here in our text, we see that the lamb, the first thing we notice about the lamb is that the lamb had to be singled out from the flock. Uh, The command in verse 3 and verse 4 is that they're to look, they're to take every man a lamb, a lamb for an house. Every man according to his eating shall make count of the lamb. And so when we think here about this lamb, there's the first detail that we learned is that the children of Israel are going to have to go in their pastures and among their flocks and they're going to have to select one lamb out of the flock. Notice, not two, not three, not a multitude of lambs, but one lamb. That is it. And that is the command. And uh, uh, just like uh, the lamb had to be singled out from the flock, when Jesus Christ comes on the scene, he was also singled out by the flock. The children of Israel are referred to as a sheep, not having a shepherd and going astray. But when Jesus Christ comes on the scene, being born a Jew, uh, we know as he comes on the scene, he is singled out, as I mentioned, by John the Baptist, who says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And so Jesus Christ was the Lamb who was singled out from the flock. We also notice secondly in verse 5, notice the Bible says, Your Lamb shall be without blemish. So the Lamb, the second thing we learn about the Lamb is that the Lamb had to be without blemish. Not only did they have to select one lamb out of the flock, but they had to select the best lamb, the lamb that was without blemish. This would be repeated, but let me give you a detail or a commentary on that in the book of Leviticus chapter 22. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 22. Leviticus chapter 22. Notice with me two verses, verse 21 and 22. What does that mean, a lamb without blemish? Leviticus twenty-two twenty-one. 21, the Bible says, And whosoever offereth a sacrifice of peace offerings unto the Lord to accomplish his vow, or a freewill offering in beeves or sheep, it shall be perfect to be accepted. What type of lamb was accepted? A perfect lamb. It had to be perfect in order to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein. And here's the details in verse 22. Blind or broken or maimed or having uh, a when. Now that's the idea of uh, have running sores. Or scurvy or scabbed. Ye shall not offer these unto the Lord nor make an offering by fire to them upon the altar unto the lord and so the lamb here clearly was to be without blemish no broken leg it couldn't be blind so when the children of israel would pick on the flock they couldn't pick the worst sheep they couldn't pick, pick the worst lamb they had to pick the best the one who was in best health the one that was without blemish the one with the, the best type of fur no, by the way, uh, the reason why he says no uh, sores, uh, when you have the sheep, uh, the lamb, the uh, the wool would cover, and so the priests would often have to inspect, and they would, uh, they would pull the wool away to see if there was sores underneath. And so sometimes it could hide the blemishes, and so they had to expect, inspect the lamb uh, in preparation for the Passover to make sure that there was uh, nothing wrong with this lamb, that this lamb was perfect, that there was no a blemish that there was nothing wrong with this lamb. The Bible tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The Bible says that Jesus Christ, He did no sin. Neither was guile found in His mouth. Jesus Christ is not just the Lamb of God, but He is the spotless Lamb of God. He is the perfect Lamb of God. The, you, uh, he says here uh, in our text, as I mentioned, that nothing that is imperfect will be accepted. Uh, only that which is perfect will be accepted. God is telling the children of Israel that I will not ex- uh, accept anything that is blemished, anything that is tainted, what He communicating to them. I cannot accept any sin. I cannot accept any form of unrighteousness. It may be hidden on the inside. It may be hidden underneath the wall. But I cannot accept any blemish, any sin. The only thing that I will accept is perfection. Well, Jesus Christ was the perfect Lamb. Without blemish, without spot, without sin, without iniquity. So the Lamb had to be singled out from the flock. The Lamb had to be without blemish. We also note in verse 5, it had to be a male of the first year. The Lamb had to be in fullness of its strength. In fullness of its strength. Uh, That meant that they couldn't pick a young one that was not fully developed and they uh, couldn't pick... An old lamb uh, that was frail and ready to die. They had to peg a lamb in the first year which would represent the fullness of strength. Well, that is interesting because we know that Jesus Christ, when He was offered as a sacrifice, was 33 years of age in the prime of His life. Not a a young man, uh, not an old man who was ready to die. Uh, Not one who was young and looking at the prospects of the future, but one who was in the fullness of strength. Uh, One who uh, represents, we know Jesus Christ, who represented the image and the brightness of God. That's what Jesus Christ communicated. And when He died, He was in the fullness of His strength. Uh, We even get a little glimpse of that uh, when uh, those who came to arrest Him, they said they were seeking for Jesus of Nazareth, and He says, I am, and they all fell backwards. You see, uh, when Jesus Christ died for our sins, it's not that He could have done anything about it and that He was in the hands of men and He couldn't help Himself and He was at their mercy as if He had no power, that He could not overcome them. Oh no, He could have spoken and in just a moment's notice He could have eradicated them. You see, what is to be brought to God is not just a young, inexperienced lamb, or an old lamb that's about ready to die, but a lamb in its full strength. The best of the flock is to be offered to God. We continue in verse 6, and the Bible says, And ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And so what we learn here, uh, number four, is that the lamb had to be killed in the evening. Now, again, we're looking at all these details, and certainly I'm going to speak at length about that, that the lamb is to be killed. The lamb is to be offered as a sacrifice. The lamb is to be offered as as an atonement uh, to the death angel. Uh, And by the way, the death angel, I believe, represents the, the Spirit of God because God Himself would say later, I will pass over you and so the, the the lamb is to be killed in the evening it's really interesting that when you study uh, uh, the record in the gospels that Jesus Christ died in the evening that he died at the same time that this these lambs were to, to be offered uh, in the evening and so again every detail of this record shows us here God he says, make sure you do everything this way as I have prescribed. Why? Because it has to point to something else that is beyond them, that is greater than them, who is Christ Himself. We see number verse 7, And they shall take the blood and strike it on the two side posts, on the upper door post of the, house, of the houses wherein they shall eat it. We see number 5, that the Lamb's blood had to be applied on the side and the upper door posts. The blood had to be, uh, and so the way it was done then, as, far, as much as I can understand the way it was done, is the lamb would be brought that evening to the edge of the door. And, uh, uh, excuse the, 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 the graphic details, but uh, you, they would slit the throat of the lamb and the blood would pour on the baseboard of the door, and then they were to take that blood that was spilled on the ground, and they were to sprinkle it on the side post and the top post, and the blood was to be seen on the doorpost. So imagine if you were in that day in Egypt, and you ordered to do that, you would walk through the streets that night, you'd walk and you see on the door, you'd see blood on the ground, and then you lift up your voice, you'd see blood on both sides of the doorpost, and then you would see blood on the upper post, sprinkled. The lamb's blood had to be applied on the side of the upper, on the side and upper doorposts. Later in our text, in verse twelve, he says, "When I pass through the land of Egypt this night, and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast." And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And so God is going to pass through every house. And you know how when He's going to pass over a house is when He sees the blood. He sees that the blood has been applied. It's interesting that uh, the text does not indicate that God is looking inside the house. He is not looking inside the house to find if there's merit in the house. If there's morality in the house, he's not seeking for righteousness in the house. All that God is looking for is for blood to be on the doorpost. And today, for anybody who would be saved, for anybody who is a Christian, a born-again Christian by the Spirit of God... Uh, You don't come based upon your morality. You don't come based upon your righteousness. You don't come because God says you're worthy. God only looks and He sees the blood that has been applied. He is not interested in what's going on inside the house or what happened in the house in the past. All that He cares about is if the blood has been applied. If you've trusted in the blood of Jesus Christ, then your sins have been washed away by the blood of the Lamb. And so the lamb's blood had to be applied on the side and the upper doorposts. We read in verse 8 through 10, And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast with fire and leavened bread and with bitter herbs. They shall eat it, eat not of it raw nor sodden at all with water, but roast with fire his head with his legs and with the pertinence thereof, and ye shall let nothing of it remain until the morning and that which remaineth of it until the morning ye shall burn with fire. So what we learn here is, well, what is all this? They have to eat the lamb, all of it all night, and leave nothing till the morning. This is what we learn here, is the lamb had to be completely consumed. Now, now what does that communicate? Because, okay, the death angel pass over, if he sees the blood, what's the purpose of eating the lamb? What's the purpose of consuming all of the lamb? Well, I think what that communicates to us as we think about Jesus Christ, that God would teach the children of Israel later on not to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. But when Jesus Christ comes on the scene in the New Testament, He says what? I am the bread of life. I am the living water. And so what we learn here is that the lamb had to be completely consumed after the blood had been applied on the doorpost, and what that would teach the Jews is that they're to consume the lamb, they're to get their nourishment from the lamb. And by the way, in part here, as you think about it, is they're about to leave. This is going to be the last meal in Egypt. Egypt. This is going to be the time when they're going to need strength for the journey. They're going to go into the wilderness and there's going to be nothing. They won't have time to take food with them. They're going to be ushered out. And so God tells them, you're going to eat. Why? Because they don't know what's coming. Uh, they, They know what God said, but they don't know that God is going to use this. Well, they've been told by Moses, but they're trusting by faith that God is going to use this and that Pharaoh is going to push them out of the land. But God knows something that they don't. And so he says, you're going to eat, you're going to get your fill, and you're going to be satisfied till the morning because you're leaving. Now, why were they leaving? They were leaving to serve him. You see, Jesus Christ is not only our blood atonement, but he is the one who satisfies us and strengthens us and gives us what we need for serving him. He gives us all that we need. You see, Jesus Christ Himself is the Word. That's why I believe Jesus Christ later would say, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in Me, and I in him the same, bringeth forth much fruit. He says, without Me ye can do nothing. What do we learn? That our strength, our obedience, our service comes from Christ. That fruit that comes in our lives comes because we've been strengthened by the Lamb Himself so they're to consume all of it. Don't leave any part. Take it all in. Enjoy it all. <laughs> Just, uh, not to, to uh, bore you with the details, but he says the head and the legs. All of it. Now again, you say, well, that's nasty. Uh, he talks about the pertinence. That's, that's all the insides, intestines. No, thank you. You know, when I get a deer, and you field dress the deer, you remove all the innards. I don't want it. Not interesting. Now, sometimes some people, they keep the heart because it's good, but I don't want to eat all the rest. Eat everything. Now, it's, it's not about those, if you would go over details, it's about what it means. That everything we need is found in Christ. And if there's anything lacking, we must go back to Christ who will furnish what we are lacking. Do you notice he says, don't leave anything? Sometimes we like to you know, bring Christ in in a certain part of our lives. We like to consume certain things about God, but, but not everything about Him. And he says, you need everything about the Lord. Everything. We continue reading, notice, In verse 11, And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So here's the last thing we learn about the lamb. The lamb signaled their deliverance for service. You notice he says, all right, blood on the doorpost. I will pass over you. You're going to eat everything from the lamb that night till the morning. And by the way, when you do so, you're going to be ready to leave. You're going to have your shoes, your loins girded, and your staff in hand when you eat. Well, uh, what does that mean? Now, that was not typical. Understand, the command that God gives them, is, it's not like they did that. They typically would take their shoes off when they would go inside the house. They would ungird themselves and take their girdle off. They would put their staff away and here this is something that's a little different here because as they're consuming the lamb, God says, have your shoes ready your gird, and gird up yourself and have a staff in it. Why? Because you're leaving and you're going to serve me. And so what do we learn about the lamb is that uh, these people are going to be passed over. They're going to be redeemed out of Egyptian bondage not for personal freedom but that they might serve God. That they might serve God. The... Brand of Christianity to say, well, I'm saved, I just don't to want to serve God, is foreign and antithetical to the scriptures. We are set free from sin that we might serve the living God. God doesn't give us personal freedom so that we can indulge in sin. God gives us freedom from sin so that we can live unto righteousness. And so the lamb signaled their deliverance for service. But I want you to consider progression in the text. If you go back, notice to verse 3, he says, Speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying in the tenth day of the month, They shall take to them every man, notice here the word, a lamb. According to the house of their fathers, notice, a lamb for an house. So, verse 2, or verse 3, we have a lamb. Notice verse 4. And if the household be too little for, now we have the lamb. Let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for The lamb. So in verse 3, you have a lamb twice. In verse 4, you have the lamb twice. And then notice the first two words of verse 5. Your lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, ye shall take it unto you uh, for the sheep uh, or from the goats. And so there's a remarkable progression here. Now, this may be uh, subtle, but uh, think about it. Uh, Take a lamb. When you take that lamb, it will be the lamb that you have assigned. And when you have the lamb and you believe in that lamb, then that's your lamb. Well, Jesus Christ, he came forth as a lamb. He, He came unto his own. We know his own received him not. He was presented forth as a lamb. But then He was selected, and when they beheld Jesus Christ, He was introduced as the Lamb. And when all those who believe on Him, they can call Jesus Christ my Lamb. He becomes your Lamb. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Paul says, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. Me. You have a lamb, one among many. But then you soon find out that that's the lamb. And then that lamb becomes your lamb. You see, I think many people, we we have to get to the place where he is our lamb. I think we could all say he is a lamb, no doubt. We could also say he is the lamb. But he must be your lamb. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, He must become your Lamb. If He's not your Lamb, you are still in your sin. So we see in our text, just to review, the institution of the Passover was the provision of God, it was not the attempt of man to escape judgment the institution of the Passover is significant because it, cha- it changed Israel's calendar. The institution of the Passover gives us great detail on the lamb that was selected. But thirdly or fourthly, I guess, the institution of the Passover places a crucial emphasis, a crucial emphasis on the blood. as verse 11. And thus shall ye eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord and the blood shall be to you. Notice, for a token upon the house's you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. God was passing through the land, and God's plan, because he is righteous and man is sinful, was to slay every firstborn without exception. And what made the difference was not the worthiness of the Hebrews' It was not the fact that they were special beyond uh, uh, the, the, the Egyptians. It was not because they were more moral. It was not because they were not idolatrous. They were. But they had. What made the difference was when the blood was applied. And today when you think about uh, the world around us, we, we, we have to uh, make people aware that if the blood has not been applied to their sin, if they have not trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior then they will die in their sins. uh, That they will stand before God unforgiven and God will judge them for their sin. Notice the Bible says that the blood, verse 13, shall be a token. We've seen that word before. God told Abraham, He instituted the circumcision with Abraham. He said, I want you to circumcise the male child and, All your servants and all your household, and he says, if you and and that will be a token. A token. What's a token? A token is a a sign. Or you could say the evidence of faith. How did you know you you, you can't see faith. Right? I mean, you if somebody says, I believe, you can't see that. It's immaterial. But God told Abraham. I will know that you're obedient, you have faith, if you circumcise. And if you do that, it will be a token. And here he says, the token of your faith is the blood that is applied. You see, ultimately, what 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 caused the Israelites to put blood on the doorpost? Faith. Faith. Faith in what? Well, you remember, Moses had said, God is coming and He's going to judge and His judgment is going to be over all the land. Every firstborn of man and beast is going to die. But for those who have the blood applied on the doorpost, it will be a token of what? That they've believed my word. Could there be some people who heard the words of Moses and said, we're not going to do it. That's possible. Uh, By the way, it doesn't say anywhere that the Egyptians could not do it. Uh, Did you notice there's no detail that says where God says to Moses, now let the Egyptians know that it's not an option for them. Uh, If you notice at the beginning of our text when he uh, talks about, um, well, back in chapter 4, notice, in, or uh, excuse me, chapter 11, verse 4 and 5, Exodus 11, 4 and 5, and Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, about midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt, and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. Notice, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. doesn't say the Egyptians. All the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. And so from, uh, in other words, this is what God says, God is not going to be uh, putting a difference by rank, uh, by power, by position in society, from the highest who sits on the throne to the poorest and the lowly servant that runs the mill, that God is, is only going to separate those if the blood is applied. And so some in the land of Egypt, because there was a great well, many uh, well throughout the land of Egypt, a great cry. Many firstborn died. Did you know why they died? They died because the blood was not applied. Do you know why the blood was not applied? Because they did not believe the Word of God. They did not believe that God said, uh, that God was going to do what He said He would do. And in the same way, there are many people today who do not believe that God will judge them one day. But God will. And the only way that we are not judged is because our sin has been judged in Christ. Because the blood has been applied, we understand we are not worthy. We understand that we have not been accepted because we are moral and because we are righteous. We have been accepted because of the blood. We have been accepted because Christ is our Passover. Let me convince you from the New Testament. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 2, the Bible says, Verse 1 and 2, Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. We and our lives and our sin and our unrighteousness rises up to heaven and is a stench in the nostrils of God. All of our sins... But Christ who came, who was perfect, the sinless lamb of God, who offered himself, his sacrifice goes up to heaven as a sweet smelling savor to God. And God is pleased with that. He accepts that. He accepts what, he accepts what Christ did as the atonement. He who was perfect, who became sin for us. In Hebrews chapter 9, if you turn there with me, just a few books over to your right, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26, the Bible says, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus Christ, when he came, he appeared to do what? He appeared, the Bible says, to put Away sin. How? By the sacrifice of himself. By the blood atonement that was shed for us. In chapter 10, verse 12, But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever sat down on the right hand of God. We know if we go back to even in Romans chapter 3, we have some clear details there in Romans chapter 3, notice verse 25 and 26, whom God hath, hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just, and the justifier of him that believeth in Jesus. And so we know that the institution of the Passover places a crucial emphasis on the blood, on the blood of atonement, the blood that was to be poured on the doorpost. And when the death angel saw the blood, hence it's called the Passover, he would pass over them. Because the blood of the innocent stood between God the judge and the wickedness of the unrighteous. There's two applications. We see the necessity of the blood, but as we see later on in the Lamb that they were supposed to consume the land and ready to leave, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the chapter begins by Paul confronting sin in the church. Fornication, he names it. But I want you to see what he says after that in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 6, your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with the old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He's referring back to the Passover. We're going to see next time that there were to eat for seven days unleavened bread. He's referring back to that practice, but he mentions here, notice in verse 7 again, he says, Purge out therefore the old leaven. He's talking to believers. He says, Purge out the sin in your life. Leaven represents sin. Get rid of the sin in your life. Purge it out so that you can be a new lump. And notice what he says in verse 7, As ye are unleavened. He says positionally, you are without sin. You have been cleansed. You have imputed righteousness. You are unleavened. And so he tells those believers, Be what you are. Be what you are in Christ. Don't allow sin to to ruin the church, don't allow sin to ruin your life and to come and make you unleavened because you are unleavened. Because Christ is our Passover and so the Passover is not just the expression that our righteousness is in the blood atonement, but is there to express that now we leave sin and we don't want sin to pollute our lives like it once did. Now, at the beginning of the message I mentioned, Pharaoh said in Exodus chapter 5, Who is the Lord? I know not the Lord. Neither will I obey His voice. Well, those go together, don't they? I know not the Lord, neither will I obey his voice. That means, if I know the Lord, then I obey his voice. You go through the plagues one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And here's the last plague. And Pharaoh has learned a lot about God that God is all powerful, that God is a God who judges sin but also that God, as He judges, He is also a merciful God who demonstrates restraint towards men who sinned again and again and again. And finally, we get to the last plague, and now Pharaoh is going to really learn all that he can and really the summation of who God is and the kind of God that we serve today and that the children of Israel would go on serving is that the God, yes, who is the Almighty God, the God who is the God of judgment, the God who does not abide sin, the God who shows His power and yet exercises mercy over and over again, in the end, when it comes to the last plague, He says, I'm going to judge man. I'm going to cut off all the firstborn in the entire land of Egypt, but then I'm going to provide a way for you, you who have rebelled you who have been idolatrous, you who have sinned against God over and over and over again, I'm going to make an atonement for you, I'm going to give you away, so that you will not be judged for your sin, but that so you can be passed over because the blood has been applied. That's the kind of God that we have. And Pharaoh now, he knows the kind of God the Hebrews worship. He is a God of mercy. He is a God of grace. And as the judgment of God is evident, so the grace of God is evident. But they are met to Gather in the atonement. Why? Because somebody had to die. Somebody had to die. When we are saved and God saves us from our sins, He doesn't save us as if, oh, I'm just going to overlook your sin and it doesn't matter. No, He sent His Son to die for our sins. God is just and He had to pay for sin. But Pharaoh is learning that God not only has to pay for sin, but He offers Himself as the atonement for the sins of those who rebel against Him. And God would come in the person of Jesus Christ and He would allow sinful men to take them in His hands and to spit on Him and to mock Him. And yet in the very same moment, God had a purpose. And the purpose was to redeem those who were rebellious against Him. That's what Pharaoh was learning about God. In Exodus chapter 12. There is a way for redemption for those in sin. That's the kind of God we serve. So we rise from this Passover and sin sin has not been made light of. As a matter of fact, because of the atonement, sin has been magnified. It is interesting that he says in this very chapter that this is going to be a memorial. Well, you know, as Christians, we have a memorial too. The Old Testament, they're going to look back at the Passover, and you know what they're going to remember? Their sin. Every year, sin. Sin. Sin must be atoned for. But we get to the New Testament, and Jesus Christ offers himself, and you know what he tells his disciples? This do in remembrance of me. Sin is so emphasized in the Old Testament so that Christ might be emphasized in the New. While the Old Testament remembers sin, the New Testament remembers Christ. And when we remember Christ, we must remember always that sin was paid for. God does not make light of sin. He never has, and he never will. Christ shows us that.